the world of B2B selling is breaking down into those who are adapting, have adapted to the new reality, which is that they are no longer in control. The buyer is in control. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about how marketing needs to address today's B2B buyer journey, the role of sales in crafting a marketing strategy, and how in the world you get both aligned around the same metrics. To help us, we have with us Mark Donegan, a 20-year marketing and sales veteran who's worked for companies backed by some of the largest VC firms in the Valley. Mark, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Chad. It's great to be here and uh, talking to you and your wonderful audience. You've got a great show. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. We, we put a lot of effort into it. Some are better than others. <laughs> Just about everything in life. <laughs> that's, but, how, uh, that's how life is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I have good days and I have good hair days and bad hair days. Yeah, yeah, we uh, all do. For those that, well, and then for those that, you know, haven't seen me, I am as bald as a baby. So and uh, uh, it's hard to tell. I have short hair too. So. <laughs> <laughs> So before we jump in, we always like to ask just a regular question so that people get to know you a little bit better. And based on the year that we've had, I'm changing it up a little bit. So as, as you look back on the year, you know, and you think about the opportunities that maybe more time at home has had, has there been something that you are passionate about that maybe our listeners might be surprised to learn or that you had an opportunity to explore more as a result of the way some of our calendars have kind of rearranged themselves? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a boy. That's a great question. Where to start, (laughs) you know, Um, (laughs) but here's, here's one takeaway. I was just thinking about this the other day um, as I was reflecting on how my time has shifted and you know, it used to be that it used to be, boy, it's so strange to think that way. Um, You know, we would go to shows, we would go to conferences, we would get out in the field. And, and that's where a lot of times, uh, most of the time, especially for your audience that's spent selling, right? So, you you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out there to meet, meet with prospects, meet with customers, but there also was a learning opportunity there. And there was, you know, talking to peers and, and, and other colleagues throughout the industry. And for those of us, you know, who've been around a few years, you know, we, we, we develop relationships. So there was a lot of networking, a lot of learning. Right. And, and you could think, uh, this is what I was reflecting on. You could think like, wow, I've lost that whole opportunity to get out there and kind of stand in the coffee line and swap stories with somebody where I might pick up an interesting, you know, piece of information or, you know, sitting in the hotel bar, sharing a drink at the end of the (laughs) night and, you know, and, and that kind of, that, that kind of thing. But here was my insight was that um, because you can't do that, um, it's it's forced or it's opened up whole new ways to connect. And so things like podcast consumption, frankly, on one hand, you know, well, we're not commuting. So, you know, and we're busy. We're always in front of our machines, you know, in front of our computers We're you know, we're on Zoom calls. We're doing that. So how do we have time for it? But um, I've seen just an incredible uptick. If you look on LinkedIn of just, you know, podcast of video, boy, what do you call it? Um, you know, training of just content that is in some cases giving 
really, really deep insights and interesting views that that maybe I could have gotten at before at a conference, but guess what? I wasn't sitting in that session. Right. And even though, you know, and here's the ironic thing. All that stuff was always being produced. They were most of those events, they were publishing it on YouTube or on their their website. But how many times do we go look at it? You know, like never because because we're busy, right? You know, and you, you just blew three days at this event. And, you know, by the time you get back to the office, you're busy catching up. But now, like I can I've got an extra 45 minutes in the calendar and, you know, rather than sort of sit there and, and zone out for 20 minutes until I <laughs> until my next call starts, you know, I find a I find a podcast episode. I find something. And so now uh, we're going to connect to how that impacts not only your professional development. That's kind of a no brainer, but how it connects to being a better revenue leader. And that's what I'm actually super excited about is, you know, whether you're on the marketing side or you're, you know, directly in the revenue uh, side of the business, I think there's tremendous opportunities now in some ways, maybe better than before. Yeah, know? agree. Absolutely. And so let's talk about kind of go back a little bit and, and find out where your passion for sales and marketing came from. I mean, some people go to school and say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to become a marketing professional, but I don't know yeah. a lot these days that started, you know, when, when we were at the holidays playing with our GI Joe or Barbie's going, <laughs> you know, I can't wait to grow up and get into sales. Said yeah, that's right. Ever. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, where'd your passion for these professions come from? Well, I started programming at my, uh, you know, in my school's Apple II. So that shows you how old I am. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Uh, seriously, when I was 12, I, I taught myself basic and started, you know, and so uh, my, my dad, you know, retired at Hewlett Packard. And, and uh, so I came up through this, you know, you'd assume, well, um, I'm going to be an engineer. So sure enough, you know, I went into a computer science program and um, I, I can remember it as if it was yesterday. The, it was it was my sophomore year and microprocessors class and um, uh, right before the final, literally the last class before the final. And the professor's telling us exactly what's going to be on the final. I mean, this is like really critical. Like, here's what's on the final. Here's what you need to study. And I and I realized that I had sat down. And then, you know, I don't even remember if we had a, we didn't have a bell, but you know, it's university. But anyway, I sat down and then the professor said his last words and the rest of the 55 minutes or whatever the class, I didn't hear a word he said. Why? <laughs> Why was that? It was because I was daydreaming about my band and about playing music. And I went, okay, this is, so I went to music school. <laughs> so I, so I, so I dropped out, uh, went to music school, um, went, went to pretty, pretty good school and you know, everything's good. And then I figured out, uh Oh, I'm going to be a poor starving musician. <laughs> and, um, and, and seriously, I mean, this really is the, you know, is the arc of how I got into it. So I thought, you know, well, okay. Um, what, you know, how can I make money? Oh, salespeople, you know, they, uh, they make money and I like talking and I had worked my way largely through college selling and managing a car audio store. So, you know, so I was, you know, so that kind of gave me the music thing and, you know, and I was making a little money. I mean, especially for a part-time job, you know, in college, like I was actually doing really good. So, uh, you know, so it, 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 it's more of just like, how can I make money, you know, and, and do something I enjoy doing. And then what ended up happening was, you know, as my arc moved from, 
you know, from being an individual contributor, then of course I naturally, I really wanted to become a student of sales. So I dove into Zig Ziglar. I mean, I was devouring at that time, you know, any of the sales development books I could get my hands on. And then that led me into, you know, sales leadership. And, and then as my career progressed, I got, you know, more involved in the, the business development side. But the interesting thing is through the whole, you know, through this whole arc of, of my sales career, even my, as an individual contributor, I was always sort of naturally grabbing marketing as a way to help you know, or to boost my individual efforts. At one time I created a little newsletter, you know, that I was sending out to customers. I mean, and this is, let me tell you, this is early, early, early. <laughs> like, remember when I was 12, I was on Apple II, you know, with basic. So it gives you an idea of like, you know, how old I am. So this is not, you know, this is not like 10 years ago where it's like, yeah, there's all these cool online tools. I mean, this is, you know, this is mailing out newsletters. And, you know, I didn't at the time really connect to the fact that I've, that I had this really pretty well developed sense of, you know, I guess the, the left brain and, and, and logic and, and, and strategy, but then also the right brain creative. And, and I never, I can't say I connected with, Hey, you know, this mix is perfect for marketing, but it's just that as I developed, I just, you know, eventually you grow in bigger roles. Next thing you know, you're you know, you basically have a marketing team reporting to you because you're the head of marketing and sales. And then, you know, it's kind of that, that, that progression. Right. And then finally, you know, I just said, you know, strategy and marketing and speaking to the market in the acceleration ability, marketing as an accelerant, it was just super exciting for me, you know, to be able to do something that could, that could impact hundreds of sellers and the entire success of a, of a company rather than just myself or a small team that I was leading, you know, in, in revenue, which is often, especially in big companies, you know, that's kind of how it is, you know, it's like, Hey, my group's rocking, you know, what's happening <laughs> on the others, you know, what's happening with the other teams, you know, or my group's not, you know, so, so, uh, yeah. There's, and it's very much a macro to micro kind of difference in, in my experience. Right. Cause I mean, I started in marketing and, and thought, I always thought, you know, I don't know why these sellers aren't, aren't picking this stuff up. Why are they aren't using yeah. it? And then decided, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go jump and be an individual contributor and then kind of come up the ranks the other way. So being able to see the macro and the micro in the way that it impacts, not only the, the buying journey, but the revenue cycle for an organization yeah. is, is yeah. pretty compelling. I think. And it really is. Yeah. One of the things that we, I mean, I saw when I was doing it and still see today in the organizations that we work with is this almost innate built-in friction between sales and marketing teams. It's almost as if they don't, I mean, well, they don't understand each other yeah. or understand yeah. what they're yeah. doing. But I'm wondering what you're seeing is kind of that current state at an aggregate level of, you know, the, the relationship between sales and marketing and maybe even how companies can increase the alignment between the two. Yeah. So I've got some good news. I, I think that in general, now part, part of the problem is, is that the answer to this question depends a lot on what the business model is. You know, a SaaS business model is going to look very different than a, you know, a, a, a software license. Uh, it's going to look different than more of a more of a, a product, you know, like a physical product or, you know, a, a hybrid physical digital product or a solution. So so it's going to vary a little bit. But the good news that I have is, is that I really see the walls getting torn down pretty significantly. 
And I think the organizations where there still really is friction now, you know, that yeah, there's always going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, button heads. But I mean, where really one side is suspicious of the other. Boy, I would say one of two things. Either those two leaders, the marketing leader and the sales leader, their days are numbered. And, 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 those, and those numbered days are short. I mean, they're going to be replaced. <laughs> That's either the first observation. The second observation is that industry or that sector is numbered. So, so either way, you know, those, 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 those people better figure out how to work together or else, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be looking to work somewhere else because, because that is just not the way that our customers, the way that their buyers um, want to relate, need to relate, and they're just going to skip right over them and they're just not going to be successful. So, so that's the good news. So the good news is I think it's breaking down now, meaning the, the friction or the silos. Now, another observation I have that I think is really interesting, and this is where I'm finding, I used to sort of, you know, there, there was a period of time where being a seller who turned into a marketer and not having, you know, a quote unquote, I use the air quotes, um, <laughs> you know, MBA from, you know, mark, you know, either marketing degree or an MBA from a specific school, I sort of would fall through the cracks because it was kind of like, wow, this guy has a lot of great experience, but is he a salesperson or is he a market? You know, it's kind of like what, you know, kind of like where, where does he fit now? I'm finding that boy, the opportunities are huge because in the marketing side of the business, if you can't impact and speak to revenue and, and it's beyond talking about how we're connecting marketing motion to revenue, what I'm talking about is go to market. It's strategy. It's how, you know, what we're going to build for the business is going to contribute to the objectives of the, of the company. And, and for a marketing leader, um, if they can do that, wow, it's incredible. <laughs> uh, now, likewise, uh, it sure is a lot easier to interface and to build a relationship with the revenue leader if you have empathy for them, if you understand their sales cycle, if you're already ahead of them and they don't even have to ask, you know, for certain types of, 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 of supporting, you know, campaigns or, you know, certain types of materials, because you already know that's what their sellers need, you know? <laughs> Right. And, 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 and so I think, and, and right there, if, you know, look, I mean, it's, it's hard to be angry at the marketing guy, at the marketing gal, if they're producing ahead of, of what your sellers need, you know, and so right there you end up breaking down the silos. So, and I'm seeing more and more and more people and I'm hearing, you know, of more marketing leaders who have come up from sales. So, you know, I don't feel any longer, like I'm sort of a fish out of water a little bit, right. you know, it's, it's becoming a lot more common. And, and I think that is helping to contribute to tear down the wall. Well, and I think, I think the rallying cry of, you know, and we saw this from kind of a design thinking standpoint is focusing on that buying journey or some people call them customer journeys from a yeah. sales market, our standpoint, it's definitely yeah. a buying journey yeah. that gives them something to rally around, which I think I've seen maybe some organizations be more effective at communicating across function with that as the focal point. But I've also found it very difficult when organizations don't have those I still, I still kind of think you and I are unicorns, although you're right. Some, some of the salespeople are coming up, you know, into yeah. marketing, but I, I've still seen them 
struggle to really understand what salespeople do and salespeople to struggle what the marketing people do. So in those organizations where you don't have that kind of organic uh, mixture of people coming up through the ranks, are there ways that you've seen organizations successfully break down those silos or at least increase the effectiveness of the conversation across the aisle, so to speak? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's really easy to always, and again, this is kind of a life lesson, right? It's always easy to look at the other person or the other side and say, they, you know, kind of point the finger. I just don't like to do that. I just kind of have a general approach to life that starts with, you know, what, what can I do different? What should I be doing different in this situation? What can I do to contribute to, you know, to change, you know, whatever it is. And I'm talking now just generally, not even, you know, marketing or sales or business, but applying this to marketing, one of my, one of my biggest, you know, advice, I guess, pieces of advice for, for an emerging marketing uh, leader or individual contributor is know the industry that you're in, know the ecosystem, know it cold, and then understand how the sales process works. And I, I just, I, I bring it back to, it sounds simplistic. I know that this requires, you know, people to kind of step outside of even what they're what they're kind of measured on or what their quote unquote day-to-day job is. But whether it's a marketing team of three or marketing team of 30, if more than half of those marketers just spend just an hour a week, you know, on, as I, as we started, you know, on, on jumping on a webinar, on attending a virtual event about the industry on something they, you just can't help, but carry that into your whatever, marketing function or role you're, you know, that, that, that you fill, um, speaking of like an individual contributor. And then if, if you just, you know, go to the head of, again, depending how big the organization is, you know, this might be really easy to do. It might be harder to do, but find someone in sales and just say, Hey, you know, could I just please invite me in? You know, I, I'm not going to bother. I'll be a fly in the wall. You don't even need to tell the, you know, that I'm on the call, but I, I, it's really important to me to hear directly from our customers' mouths. You know, what are they asking? What are they, you know, how are they responding to our, you know, to our presentation? What are they, and just with those activities, again, they sound so simple, but I have seen because I, I apply it not only myself, but in my teams. And I very often hire not just for domain experience, but I hire for someone who has aptitude right. that they can learn and that they want to learn. Now, you, it's amazing to me how there's still marketers out there kind of feeling like, what do you mean? I'm. I'm a marketer. Like I, you know, like I drive, I drive creative. I'm a content marketer. Like I, I just write, write words like, well, you above all people, you know, really need to understand ecosystem. You know, what's the language they use? What's the, you know, how do they, how do they talk? How, you know, what are the, what are the hot trends that we need to make sure that we're talking about so that we're going to catch their ear because the world is just so noisy you know, so yeah, for- absolutely. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a, I, I think in order to create effective content, you have to understand the audience. And I don't think oh, there's any 100%. better way than listening yeah. to a sales call when those individuals are 
not focused on trying to tell you what they're saying, but actually saying things. Yeah. If you're really good at the content creation, you'll be able to identify the themes or the, the, the words, the phrases, or even in some cases, the stats that are really going to get those people's attention yeah. and help the sales individuals that are, you know, campaigning to the decision makers to try and get a meeting or if they're prospecting or, or even if they're in the sales process, you know, things, their perspective of the company and or the solution is going to change. Yeah. And I think hearing that firsthand, I don't think there's any replacement for that. I think the bigger challenge that, and I'm really curious to see kind of how you would recommend companies address this is how do you get a salesperson to understand the function or the art of marketing communication? Yeah. Cause there's it, both, I think are a blend of science and art. But I think it's easier to explain to a marketer, just listen to the customer. The customer will give you all the answer sure, the prospect. Sure. How do you do it? How do you do it in reverse? <laughs> for a, Yeah, exactly. Especially for a, a transactional, really driven, uh, you know, <laughs> right. sales professional, you know, so, yeah. So I think that, I think that the world, the world of, of B2B selling is breaking down into those who are adapting have adapted to the new reality, which is that they are no longer in control. The buyer is in control. And for those people, you know, I think naturally, once you have acquiesced to that understanding and you've said, you know, this is this, they don't need me. You know, there's a lot of choice in the market. There's, there's a million different ways for them to learn about the choice. And and again, depending on your business model, you know, like they can even go all the way to buying without ever even maybe talking to me, you know, as a salesperson. And so if you as a seller has, have, have acquiesced to that understanding, then you naturally are going to say, well, then I either better go find another line of work or I better learn how to adapt. And the way you adapt is you figure out, well, how do I capture their attention? Well, you know, everyone responds to story. Everyone responds at the end of the day, we all, we, everything we buy, whether it's, you know, for me personally, you know, in my house or whether it's for my business, it, it starts with a need. It starts with a, with, you know, there's a reason, right? So, so sellers who, who have already come around to this line of thinking then are now getting drawn into the world of marketing because they're saying, wow, you know, what marketing is producing for me and the messages and, you know, the video content, all that is super valuable. And now my job as a seller is to find creative ways to get that in front of my prospects, get that in front of the buying committee, you know, get that in front of the people who either I'm working with or I want to be working with. And they're, guess what? You know, no secret. They're probably doing pretty well, these sellers, right? So right. yeah, you know, you know, certain industries, COVID has really decimated. Uh, others are doing well. So, you know, unfortunately, if, you, if, if you're a great seller and your industry has been decimated, well, it might be tough right now, but that's not because you as a person, uh, you, you know, have not adapted. Unfortunately, there's, there are the other sellers who still just want to go back to the, to the battle cards. Um, right. Just the other day, I was working with a client and a partner of theirs um, talked about needing to build battle cards. Now, <laughs> can you imagine what went through my head? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, a dozen things went through my head. Fortunately, I didn't repeat any of them on the, uh, <laughs> on the call, but I mean, it was just like, are you kidding me? Like 
battle cards. Like if, you know, now look, you know, there's some people are listening here going, oh, but wait a second, our whole process is built around that. What are you saying? Of course you need to understand the competition. Of course you need to understand positioning. Of course you need, you know, the, 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 the language in the scripts to be able to counter an objection and be able to deal with an objection. But the old idea of, you know, we have our, our, you know, 10 or 12, you know, there's these, you know, there's a battle card and then here's our playbook and here's our, and, and go memorize it and then run with it. Yeah. Like, like those days are so far behind us in every industry, I would argue. I don't think it's like, well, yeah, I get it, you know, in software and in technology and in SaaS and in, you know, yeah, that's true. Everything you say, Mark, is true. But, you know, I'm over here in this, you know, industrialized, you know, still, you know, 250 year old industry and it's, and it, and it's, you know, it's different. No, it's not. No, it's not. I would argue. <laughs> I'm 100% with you. All right, let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. First is simply as a, a strategist and, and consultant, that makes you a revenue executive for yourself. And people are yeah. obviously trying to get in front of you. Yep. And so I'm always curious to know when somebody doesn't have a referral, uh, a trusted way in to get to you, what works the best to, to capture your attention, build credibility and help somebody earn the right to time on your calendar? Yeah. You know, um, so <laughs> we all see this on LinkedIn, right? And all oh, these cold messages that oh, come in are yeah, just, don't get me started. Uh, oh, mind numbing. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's my reference point there, but you know, it's, it's simple. It's, they know something about my business or something that I'm clearly um, interested in. And I don't mean personally, you know, like, Oh, I see. We both went to the same school, you know, like it's still every once in a while I get that. And I'm just like, Oh geez, you know, but they don't try and squeeze me into a predefined persona. And that right there actually captures my attention. So when there's some intelligent you know, it could be a question or an insight, sometimes just an insight like, hey, I noticed that you published this blog post. Wow, I really liked it. By the way, you know, I don't know if you saw this article, you know, and then I click on it, I'm like, wow, that that's really interesting. That's actually very relevant. And, you know, hey, and I'll almost always respond back you know, with more than just, a, oh, thanks for sharing, you know, like, right. wow, that's pretty cool. And then when I'm talking to them or, you know, whether that's literally on the phone or, or, or just, you know, messaging, they listen and they ask questions, but the questions are not your generic canned, you know, they're very appropriate. Right. So that right there, it tells me, Hey, you know, this person really understands me. Absolutely. It's the show me, you know, me like, don't make yeah. me don't. And the automated, we all know what marketing tech does today and you can spot yeah. that a mile away. Yeah. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales and marketing professionals, one piece of advice that if you gave them and they listened to, you believe would help them crush their targets. What would it be and why? Yeah. So it would be to Focus on really understanding the problem to be solved, but the second part is more important and who the beneficiary is inside the organization if you solve that problem. Now, let me unpack that because on the surface, like, oh, of, co <laughs> of course, focus on really understanding that. Okay, I get it. <laughs> Nothing new there. But the second part is really interesting because I have found and I have the scars to prove it. <laughs> 
<laughs> where I have entered into, you know, very complex, you know, 15, sometimes 20 people in the, in the buying committee process. And boy, we just, we thought we were, you know, we had this thing locked up 18 months in. And of course we wanted to close it 12 months earlier, but you know, we had this thing locked up, everything's good, everything's good. And then all of a sudden it doesn't close. You're going, what happened? Invariably, what happened was, was that we found out that we actually never had the beneficiary who, who would really benefit from buying or using or, you know, that company procuring our solution at the table. And guess what? That person will pop up at some point. They'll usually pop up at the very end, right when the deal is about to be signed. And all they have to do is say, is say, yeah, you know, that that's pretty cool, but I'm looking at these other three. So why don't we hold off? And as the seller, you, you're, your head's spinning. Like, how in the world could we have missed this? And, and so the focus is, is to really understand the problem and then who the beneficiary is. Because the beneficiary is often not someone who's actually in the buying process or the committee. Sometimes, I mean, they're the lowest person in the room. That's why they aren't in the room you know, a lot of times, but at the end of the day, they're the one who inside that company is going to, you know, at some point, somebody is going to go to them and say, Hey, you know, so we're looking at this, uh, you know, this, this platform, looking at this solution, we, you know, we've gone through, we've, you know, here's all the, you know, we really like it. What do you, you know, why don't you take a quick look at it? Yeah. And then all it takes for that person is to say, yeah, you know, actually I've got a better idea. Or, you know, I think we could build that internally, you know, or, <laughs> Hey, we're working on building that internally and you're dead. Your whole right. deal is dead. And like I said, I have the scars to prove that this is what happens. And so it's easier said than done though, to find out who the beneficiary is because, you know, it gets back to the old, um, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm selling, you know, it's ultimately the CFO who makes the decision. Well, <laughs> No, because it could be that subject matter expert who says, hey, you know, I understand that we can save, um, you know, three quarters of a million dollars by adopting this software, but did you know this? And they go, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, so maybe we better hold off. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then boom, you're dead. Your deal's dead. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. If a listener is interested in talking more about these topics we touched on today or getting in touch with you, where do you want us to send them? Yeah, uh, go to my website. So it's growthstage.marketing. So just growthstage.marketing. And uh, I actually have a, a startup marketing playbook that's totally ungated, totally totally free. You just, just click on the link. It's very obvious right on my homepage there, uh, up in the uh, navigation. And, um, i I think I've got some helpful, uh, info in there. So. Excellent. Well, Hey Mark, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Chad, it's uh, really great to talk with you. Thank you. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. You know, the drill B2B revexec.com share it with friends, family, co-workers listening to it at the holidays let your kids listen to it instead of watching screens you know the drill leave us a review on itunes and until next time we at value selling associates wish you nothing but the greatest success you've been listening to the b2b revenue executive experience to ensure that you never miss an episode subscribe to the show on itunes or your favorite podcast player thank you so much for listening until next time